Danny, what's that you said when you first stood up here that you were so nervous it was like a long tail cat by, by, a, by a row full of rocking chairs? Man, I've never heard that one. A long tail cat by a row full of rocking chairs. Write that one down, honey. I need to remember that one. Uh, I'm sure the cats are nervous, but I've never ever heard that saying before. Sheesh, man, I, that, that goes into my book of Johnston County sayings right there. Every, I, I come to learn something too. Um, let's go to prayer and then we'll go to the word. Father, thanks for uh, the opportunity we have to learn from your word so that we wouldn't be ignorant, so that we wouldn't be unaware of who you are and what you've done and even what you say about us. And so we pray that you would teach us today by that word. We pray that your spirit would be among us. I pray that you would take my mind and my heart and my lips and cause them to obey, only saying what you've ordained for this morning. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, the beginning of the book talked of all that Jesus did and who he is, that he is supreme. And now the book is swung into saying, because he's that and he's done something in your life, if he's done something in your life, then it's going to come out in certain actions that we would have our mind set on Christ, that would be seeing him in heaven and that that would cause our hearts to to long for him and his return. They would actually cause us to turn away from sexual immorality, from anger and the ways that we treat other people. And it tells us now in this passage that we saw last week, we are to be exhibiting things like kindness and compassion and love for one another that only comes from Christ. The same way that he has forgiven us and shown us kindness is the same way that we are to be interacting with one another in kindness. That helps cure us of things like complaining, (laughs) of looking at one another in spite. Um, I was reading this joke. I love to read the jokes in Reader's Digest, and and I'll save them, and I read them again and again. And there was this one about this this monk who had gone to the monastery, and the rule was you couldn't talk at the monastery, except for every 10 years, you could say two words. And so the monk goes into the monastery, and after 10 years, he gets to say two words, and he says, food bad. So 10 years goes by again, long, hard work. He finally comes in to the to the head, um, the head monk and and he gets his two words and he says, work hard. So he waits 10 more years and, and he finally goes back into the head monk and he gets his two words and he says, I quit. <laughs> and the head monk says, well, thank goodness you've been complaining ever since you got here. And that's just what begins to happen. And even if we're quiet, and even if we just be, kind of have our heart rolls and it rolls away from Jesus and just into the way of our selfishness and the way we treat other people. And so the Lord's been just kind of working on us. And today we're continuing to go on. We're just going to hit one verse today. <clears throat> it's short and sweet, but I think it has a lot of relevance to each and every one of us. Chapter three, verse 15 says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. I just want to read that all again. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So it begins by saying there's a peace of Christ. And when you talk about the word peace, there's lots of ways to look at it because we do need peace in many areas. The word that's being used here, it's from a root word that means to join together Well, as you look at all different kinds of areas of life, we see that it's hard to have peace. We see it in the news all the time on a 
on an international perspective, on a global scale, you're having nations who are having trouble being at peace with other nations. They're, they're having a hard time joining together. You see uh, um, just parts of our society that are having trouble having peace. Different people groups are having a hard time coming together. Uh, you see within peace that relationally, we have hard times with people coming together. And so we hear of marriages that are having hard times with people joining together within within groups, even even churches. People have a hard time coming together and having peace. We also know that there's issues with peace, just inner peace. People will talk about it doesn't even matter about having another person. You within yourself might this morning be saying, I'm having a hard time just joining everything together. I'm so anxious. I don't have peace. And so you see all these different segments, whether it be international, whether it be societal, whether it be relational, interpersonal, or whether it be in your own heart, there's issues with peace. But the scripture says clearly there's also one other place of peace that peace that trumps them all. And if that's not right, all these other ones will have problems. Because the scripture says from the very beginning with Adam and Eve and then flowing out into all humanity that the moment that you and I are born because they sin and now we all sin, we have an issue. And that is we're not at peace with God. That as a result of sin, we are not joined together with him. We are actually separated from him. And the opposite of being joined together, the opposite of that peace, the scripture talks of being um, uh, in rage and friction and anger. So that's actually happening between us and God. We come out and we're enraged against him because he won't let us have our way. We don't want him to be the king. We want to be the king. And that's what sin has always been. But the great story of God is this, is that ever since the beginning, he struck out on this plan, knowing that because of our sin and because of our rage and rebelliousness and our actual actions that keep us from having peace with him. He started out on this plan. To bring us back into peace with him, to restore that relationship, to join us together with him. And so we saw all throughout the first chapter that Jesus, the supreme ruler in heaven who had done no wrong and created all things. He created angels. He created Satan. He created all humanity and all creation that that Jesus took on flesh. And the scripture said in in Colossians chapter one that that, yes, he was. He was sacrificed. And that by that blood, he forgives and qualifies you to be in a peaceful relationship with God. In fact, in that chapter one, verse 19, it says, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross. There's there's no other way to have peace. Than all things in heaven and earth to make things right. And to reconcile them. To join them together in the proper way with God. It demanded that Jesus would come and by his blood make a way of peace. And so throughout Jesus' ministry. He did a lot of things to soothe people in their needs. He went to people who were demon possessed and cast out the demon. He would go to a blind man and maybe spit in the mud and then rub that mud on their eyes and heal their eyes. And then other times he would just say, have your sight and they would see. He would go to the lepers and he would touch them. He would go to the big, vast thousands of people, crowds and say, let me feed you after I just fed you with the word. 
See, he would do all these miracles, but those weren't the things that were going to cause people to come back into a right relationship with him. He knew that after all the miracles and after all the teaching and after all the casting out of demons, all those things by which he showed authority, he had to go with all of his authority and go to the cross and shed his own blood. Because in order to be reconciled with God, you needed a blood sacrifice is what the scriptures say. You needed someone to shed their blood. It had to be perfect blood. And so only Jesus' blood would do. Now, that's a pretty incredible thing that in order for us to be at peace with God and to somehow have that peace in our hearts with God, that Jesus had to be sacrificed. And yet all throughout the Bible, we see God saying, peace, have peace, have peace. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And it goes on to say upon for those upon whom his favor rests. So they talked about peace there. You go all over the book, talks about peace. Now, in the Old Testament, the word that they used for peace was the word shalom. You ever heard that before? Shalom. And in fact, when people would uh, talk about peace, they'd use that word. But also when they greet one another, they use that word peace. I want I want there to be peace between us. I want there to be a relational peace between us. But I want to bring up a story today about a woman in the New Testament whose name was based on shalom. Her name was Salome. That's how you would say it. And she was the mother of two boys. Their names were James and John, and they were disciples of Jesus. And it was interesting because Jesus and having these two young guys who had been fishermen, he had taken them off the lake. I mean, they were hardworking, crusty, Galilean speaking Jews. And Jesus brought them out of their work and he put them to work and he made them disciples. But but these guys seem to have some type of temper issue because Jesus, it tells us, gave them a nickname. And it was this sons of thunder, sons of thunder. And the word that it's based on is Bonerges. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. But what it means is this sons of rage, sons of anger, sons of wrath. And so here Jesus has these guys and he says, you guys are just sons of anger. You're, you don't have peace. You're sons of anger. So Salome, Shalom, this woman whose name means peace, has two sons who don't seem to know anything about peace. They're enraged all the time. And so anyway, there's a story in Matthew chapter 20 about these two guys, James and John. And they're thinking, hey, to be at peace and to be in the right place, not only will we follow Jesus, but when Jesus gets to the place where he's going to be king of the kingdom, we want the best seats. And in fact, their mom, Salome, has this request of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, those are the sons of thunder. Zebedee was their dad's name. Then the mother, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. So that would have been saying, I want one of my sons to be second in command and I want my other son to to be third in command. I want them to be on your right and your left. So Jesus, when you're king lifted up high, I want my two sons to have a place in the cabinet. That's what I want. I want them to be right with you. I want you to make them the best, the most powerful people who are in charge in your kingdom. And verse 22 says, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? He's going to have to suffer to get to where he's going. And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those whom it has been prepared by my father. Well, when the, the, the ten, the other ten disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. You can imagine there's ten other disciples like, who do you think you are? <laughs> you imagine there was peace in that moment? No, they're indignant because these two guys were trying to usurp everybody else and get the best seats to get the most power. And so the rest of the ten of them are like, what do you think you're doing? Sneaking up to Jesus while we're walking on the path and seeing if you get the places at the front of the table by his right and to his left. And Jesus called them to him. So Jesus suddenly knows, I not only need to speak to James and John, I need to get all 12 disciples. I need to get these men that I'm going to die for and put into leadership for the church. I need to bring them together for a little leader summit. I need to have some leadership training. If these are going to be the apostles, the disciples, the ones that I'm going to entrust this message with and they, they will live and suffer for me, I need to have a little training moment. So I want us to kind of peer into what Jesus says regarding this moment. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you Must be your slave. So Jesus, after hearing the request of James and John, who said, we want to be first. We want to be your best. Put us in the best spot. And the other 10 disciples saying, hey, wait a second. We're mad at them because we want those spots. How dare they try to get the best spots? We want the best spots. They were trying to get to the top. And Jesus calls them together and says, you know what? That's the way the world does it. The world says you want to be at the top. You climb the ladder. You push others down. You play king of the hill. You do whatever it takes to outmaneuver somebody to the top. And Jesus says, guys, come together. The rest of the world does it that way. That's not how we're going to do it. But he said this. Whoever wants to be greatest among you must what? Must be the least. And by least, he goes on and says, so whoever wants to be the greatest in your midst doesn't climb to the top of the pile and make all the demands. He's not the one that goes up there and says, this is what I want. This is how I want it and when I want. That's not how you are the leader. You become the leader by becoming the servant. You become the greatest by becoming the least. You want to be the one who's in charge and has it all. And start helping. He says, you, you've got to be the servant. You've got to be the slave. He's calling them the, the, the lowest of the society, the lowest of the group. Now, any one of them might have said, like, no way. I'm not doing that. I'll find another way to the top. Or they might have said, you know what, Jesus? That's not how they give degrees out over at Chapel Hill or NC State or even Duke. In their leadership classes, you, you, you fight tooth and nail, claws, whatever it takes. You get to the top by, by being the leader and just demanding of others. And Jesus says, no. In order to get there, you're the least. You serve. 
You're the slave. And at any time when any of those disciples would have said, no way, I'm not doing that because I'm not stooping to that level. Jesus kind of brings in the zinger at the very end. It says in verse 28, not only do they have to do that, it says, even as the son of man, that's Jesus, even as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, none of you can say, you know what, that's below me. Because God, Jesus, left his throne room in heaven and all that he had there with all the, the, the billions and millions, however many hosts of heaven are up there serving him hand and foot. He left that place and became a servant. Philippians chapter 2 says that he humbled himself and became a servant. Didn't make any of the demands of being God. But he became a servant and such a servant that he went to the death on a cross. And who was he serving? He was serving you, Unity Church. God in heaven came and served you by putting himself in the lowest spot. For by not only becoming human, did he subject himself to difficulty in human life and relationships that are tough and people who are over him who were too demanding. But Jesus also in that position, put himself on the cross and then took your sin upon him so that when the father looked at him, he looked at Jesus and said, that's gross. That makes me rage. That makes me have a righteous anger. And Jesus suffered under the wrath of God. That is ultimate service. And Jesus said it was a ransom. He paid the sin of your debt. Well, the great thing is when Jesus humbled himself and died in that way, he was serving you to wipe you clean, but also then to lift you up so that you can be in relationship with God, so that you could be reconnected, as Colossians said, reconciled. At peace with God, it can happen no other way except for what Jesus did in his ultimate service of you. And so if we flip back to that passage in Colossians chapter three, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And when you think about what it took to bring you peace with God in your heart, it took Jesus. Humbling himself to a place of being a servant. To not just wash feet. But to go die. And he says, let that peace rule in your hearts. Now, right there, yes, he's talking about what we talked about, where it is the peace with God that needs to be said. That is one area that needs to have peace. It only happens through Jesus. But you know what? When you have peace with Jesus, it expands then into the realm of inner peace. When scripture says, don't be anxious anymore. In Philippians, it says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It means prayer. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be yours. You know what? You can't even pray if you're not with, at peace with God. So first, you have to be at peace. You have to be saved. And then that expands to say, you know what? Takes care of just that turmoil, the anxiousness in your heart. 
is that if he's willing to go to the cross for you, he's also willing to interact in every difficult situation in your heart. He says, don't be anxious because you can give all that anxiousness and just say, Lord, take care of these things. And then it expands that not only does it deal with your peaceful relationship with God and the peace in your inner uh, inner inner heart. But into your relationships in the way that you deal with the relationships, you say, well, how should I deal with this difficult situation with my boss? How should I deal with the kid on the playground? How should I deal with my spouse? I got to tell you, even in a relationship like being married, where you are in love with the person. Isn't it hard sometimes not to try to one up them just to be right? You know what? How many arguments we've had? about who was the one who actually emptied the dishwasher. But I just want to be right. And yet the Lord says, you know what? Serve that person. It's not about who's winning the argument. In your relationships, it's not about making sure you're the one who's right. Just go love on people. Go, go humbly serve them. Act like they need Jesus. Don't try to climb to the top of the pile in your marriage. And and in a couple verses, we're actually going to swing this boat and we're going to talk specifically about marriage. And then it swings into relationship with children. And then also in Colossians, it deals with the relationship between bosses and employees, masters and slaves. But it starts with peace with God, then peace in our hearts and now peace in relationships. That can't happen if we don't understand Jesus being the servant of all. But he tells us to go into all these difficult spaces. And to humbly serve and love others. And then you blow that up into situations that are societal. We're having so many problems with our society right now because you just get people on opposite sides barking at each other. I'm ready to step into that and just say, I'm ready to love somebody. Humbly love. I don't need to prove that I'm right. I just I want to step into this and and present peace through Christ and say, how can I love you better? That would go a long ways, I think. And then we've got all these international affairs that are going on. And I don't know how you sit down with the leader of North Korea and tell him you love him. But I know this is that God demands that I love my enemies, even in a communist country. And he says that. We are to pray for them. Have I been praying for him? I admit I have not enough. I should be praying that Kim Jong-un comes to Christ. Unless there's peace in him, I don't see peace. And so in all these areas, it all begins with Jesus. And if all those areas of peace begin with Jesus. Hopefully then it's just our nickname that's Son of Thunder. Hopefully he begins to turn in us and we, became, we become sons of peace. And that our leader is the Prince of Peace. Because from a very young age, we don't act peaceful. In our relationships, we don't act peaceful. When I was about seven years old, I had my younger brother who at that time was about four or five years old. And he held down my older brother, who was about 10 years old. 
Well, I hit my older brother with a baseball bat. Because we didn't like how older brother was treating us. And younger brother and I, we wanted to make sure that he knew to leave us alone. And so we got him good. Did it fix things? No. We went about in our own way trying to make peace how we knew. And it just caused more rage. I see the Johnson boys laughing. You guys do that to each other. And whether literally or figuratively, that's usually how we address problems in relationships. Well, I'm just going to go bonk you over the head with a club until you realize that I'm right or leave me alone or whatever it is. And really, in those situations, we need to step in and just humbly say, how can I love you and serve you? Let's talk. And we may disagree, but I'm going to show you Jesus. And I hope that I see Jesus. Because I'm no better than you. Jesus never stood before people. He never stands before us and just says, well, I'm better than you. And yet he loves better. He's bigger. He's everything. Those moments when we have in our life to step in and just love the way Jesus would love. If we do that, it'll be so transformative. It'll be transformative in you, in your relationships, I believe, in our society and in this world. If we go out and love the way Jesus told us to love, it'll give us opportunities in relationships to cause great effect for the kingdom of God. So that ultimately in that kingdom, there will be people saved, not people waiting to rage. I love seeing examples of this when people would just say, I'm totally out of my element. I don't know how to talk to this person, so I'm just going to love on them. I remember seeing that at our church in Seattle. We were a small church. We met in an arts theater. We were in a uh, heavily tattooed um, neighborhood. Kinds of crazy hair, crazy clothes. But you didn't know who you were going to get through the door. And I remember my grandpa and grandma helped to start that church. Granny and Papa is what we called them. And Granny and Papa, they wanted to come help plant the church. They wanted to be involved in the church. But they didn't know what else, know what else to do except to be the greeters. And so... As people would come in the door, they were granny and papa and their service because, you know, even though they were older, they had more wisdom. They probably had more money. They probably whatever. They said, we are going to love and we're going to serve whoever comes through that door. And so whoever came through that door, there was a smiling granny and papa there with a hot cup of coffee and a cookie. Or a bagel or a donut or a biscuit. And they decided that whoever came through that door, no matter if they looked different, no matter if they smelled different, no matter if they believed different, no matter if they were coming, not even for the church, before the theater, Granny and Papa were because they were at peace with God and they were at peace with what God had called them to do. They were going to love whoever came through that door. And I remember one Sunday, this young couple came in. Tattoos, the weird clothes, this and that. And they were vegan. Yeah. If, if you don't know what vegan means, that just means they didn't eat animal byproduct stuff. And so I remember they were they were different. And here's Granny and Papa had grown up in Wyoming. They'd shoot and kill and eat whatever they needed. And in comes this couple, Kevin and Joe. Kevin and Joe came in. They didn't look anything like Granny and Papa. That first Sunday, Kevin and Joe... Got a smile, a cup of coffee, 
a cookie. I don't know if they knew it was vegan or not, but uh, and they came in and heard the gospel. They heard, they heard about Jesus and they are a young Christian couple looking for a church. And later on, years later, and they, they ended up inviting all their friends and people came because of Kevin and Joe. And we asked them, what was it that made you come and why did you invite all those people? They said the first Sunday we came in and we saw Granny and Papa smiling at us. We knew. And it was that very day afterwards, Granny and Papa said, hey, next week, you want to come over to our house for lunch? What can we serve you? And they said, well, we're vegan. Granny didn't even know what that meant. She said, well, we'll just invite everybody and everybody else can bring vegan. I don't know what that is. She brought deviled eggs. (laughs) But Granny and Papa were determined Even though they could have climbed to the top of the pile of church, they were determined to get on their knees and serve people with a smile, with a cookie, with the gospel, with friendship. Do you realize that's what Jesus did for us? Sometimes I wonder what Jesus thinks of a buttoned up shirt. Do you think he cares? What if my hair's done right? Cut nice and clean. Do you think he cares? It's probably odd to him. But what I know is this. Is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came to serve me. He would have gotten on his knees to wash my feet. When he greets me, it's with his beautiful, majestic smile. That's not one of those weird, like, I'm just smiling because I have to smiles. He actually loves me. And he asks me to draw close. He says, by the cross, I've wiped you clean. Draw close in relationship. Be close to me. And I want to hear what's going on in your life. Because we're at peace. The Lord God of heaven served me. That makes me feel good. That brings a lot of peace to my heart. And what he's told the church is to turn around and be Jesus to each other and to the world. Even when we don't feel like it, even when they're stinky, even when they look different, even if they wear different clothes, talk a different language. Even if they're our spouse and we've just had a bad day with them. We are to love and serve them in humility like Christ served us. This passage wasn't just talking about inner peace, because very clearly it said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. None of these things that he asks us to do are isolated. It's all in community. You can't love if there's no one else around you. You can't be kind if there's no one else around you. You can't serve and let the peace of Christ rule in a community. If there's no one else around you. This is all about what happens within the church. Do you have that peace ruling in your heart, the peace of Christ? 
Lord made a way to make that possible, and that was by him dying on that cross for us. And so today, maybe you just need a moment with the Lord to say, Lord, I just don't feel peace in whatever one of those areas that is. And you can try to go address those areas and it'll fail. It has to be first with Jesus and peace with God. And so I invite you to come and just recognize what he's done for you and to say, Lord, I submit my heart. I repent of my sin and I, I pray that Jesus rule me, rule my heart, be my king and be saved. And if you're a believer and you've wandered away, then that you would lay down sin and come back to peace with God, that you wouldn't be a son of thunder. You'd be a son of God, a daughter of